listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Going through the book of Ruth, we started a new series last week, but we're still in chapter one. Last week, we got to see how things were not going very well for Ruth. Things were challenging. There were a lot of things that were going wrong heading into this book. She was struggling. There were a lot of problems. There was famine in the land, there wasn't enough food. They moved to try to figure that out. And then she loses her husbands and her sons. And now we get to see what she does next. One of the crucial questions I think anyone needs to ask themselves, all of us need to figure out is, how do we define who we are? What's our identity in? And there are lots of ways that we reveal this to the people around us, about our own identity, how we think about who we are. When I was in Pittsburgh, I got a chance to interview this individual. We were working at a church, and we were looking for another pastor to come on staff. So myself, the senior pastor, we went out to dinner with this young man and his wife. It's probably mid-30s at this point, and we're at dinner, and he brings up multiple times that he went to college to play basketball. He's in college playing basketball and felt like he got an unfair treatment to him as a player by the coach. He was benched. He wasn't allowed to play, and it wasn't fair. It was messed up. So he transferred to a different college, and that coach treated him the same way. Now, granted, this is 15 years before we're having dinner together. And this guy is talking about this over and over, saying, well, this coach treated me unfairly. This coach treated me unfairly. And I started to wonder to myself, like, how does this guy think about just him? How does he feel about himself if this situation that he experienced 15 years ago is weighing him down so much? He's just bringing it up. You see, his identity was stuck in that time through this negative experience with the coaches that he had. I think that this is often what happens to us. All of us will go through a difficult season or be in a season of struggle, and all of a sudden, that's all we can think about. That becomes who we are. That becomes our identity. And we see that in Ruth as she thinks about what she's going to do next. She's asking the question, where does my identity come from? And the truth is that identity can only come from one place. There's only one place that your identity can come from. And Ruth goes through three different things that her identity is not supposed to come from. We're going to look at that together. Identity is not given to us through benefits in this life. The things that we desire, the things that we want, identity isn't given to us through benefits in this life. Through worldly hope, through the future, we try to create for ourselves in this world, and it's not given to us through another person. 
Identity is not given to us through benefits in this life. Verses 6 through 10, she's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, and now she needs to figure out what to do. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people in providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness. Show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, Where we will go with you to your people. So she says, I'm going to go home. I heard that God provided again for Bethlehem and Judah. We learned last week that Bethlehem is called the house of bread. And it was an interesting piece of information because these people are struggling with famine. They don't have food. So God comes to the aid of his people. The famine is gone. He's providing for his people. And Naomi says, look, I'm going to go back there because I can get the benefits of what God is doing for his people there. She's looking at worldly benefit. She wants food. It's practical. She's thinking practically at this point. What's the best thing that, that I can get for myself in this situation? Now, she's trying to feed herself and survive. So we shouldn't think too harshly about what Naomi's doing in this situation. But I think it is important that we recognize she's not up to this point in the book, showing a ton of faith in God's provision. She just sort of goes with the flow of wherever she thinks is going to be the best thing for her. She leaves Bethlehem to try to survive. She's going to go back because she's heard good things are there. Some of us run to God because we think he will give us things. In our culture, there's something called, I don't know if you're familiar with this, the idea of the prosperity gospel. That if you take steps toward God, then all of a sudden I'm going to give my life to Christ and my debt is going to disappear. And, you know, my marriage is going to be fixed automatically and I'm not going to have any problems because I'm with Jesus now. And he's the king of everything, which is a little confusing because that is true. Jesus is the king of everything. That part is true. But your problems, those of us who have been a Christian for a while, they don't just disappear. They don't just evaporate when we step into a relationship with Christ. You know, I, I went to college and I was going to be a pastor, which was a weird thing at Adrian College. I went there. There were very few of us. And I, I would tell people, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. And they would just all of a sudden tell me everything that they've ever experienced in church. And so they would just say, hey, this has been my experience. And this one young lady had gone to church a lot. She had gone on mission trips, done all of what she thought were the right things to do. 
and her best friend died in a car accident, and she said, I can't believe in a God that would, would do that to me. And the problem with the idea of the prosperity gospel or thinking that if I do something, then my life has to turn out a certain way or be good is that all of a sudden when life happens and we live in this sinful, broken world, we all of a sudden blame God for the things that happen around us. And we say, well, I held up my end of the deal. God, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. Here's the big problem with that. You never hold up your end of the deal. Nor do I. You see, our sin all day long, even the very best things that you think that you do, often have some sort of a selfish motive involved. We're thinking about us. We're, we're stuck in our own sin. And if it isn't for God's just grace lavished upon us, we would have no hope. So the problem is, we cannot think that we're in this genie-type relationship with God where we say, well, I've done the right things. I prayed and did my quiet time today. I should get a promotion later when I meet with my boss. But some of us think of this relationship with God like it's transactional. And what that does is it robs grace of its power. You see, we need something that we could never earn from God. And our identity can be given to us from him, is only meant to be given to us from him. But if you think you can earn God's grace, it's ultimately about you. And Naomi is like, well, I'll go back because I've heard of the benefits of God. If you're in a place where you think, well, I, I want to come to church to, to fix my life, to turn things around, I hear this a lot. You know, there's truth in the idea that when we step towards God and we surrender to him, our lives should, in general, go better. But it is not an equation that you can expect that, you know what, I'm going to start turning things over to God and it's going to fix all of my problems. God doesn't work for you. He doesn't work for me. He gives us a new identity that is from his grace, completely unearned. But our identity, it ultimately can't be found in benefits in this life. Because if it is, you're going to run into a wall. And you're going to be asking questions about the goodness of God. Because life is painful. But it's finding yourself your identity in him through those things that brings beauty into a relationship with Christ. We see Naomi take the next step here. She tries to tell the daughters-in-law, go away. It, you know, it, it's going to be easy for you, it, easier for you if you leave. You'll, you'll be free to start over and, and build a new life. And she's like, I'm going to go back because I've heard God's benefits are over here, so I'm going over there. Identity doesn't come from worldly hope either. In verses 11 through 14, this is how our story continues. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if 
I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and, and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, she wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. These two daughters, Orpah and Ruth, and they first both are like, no, no, we're not going to leave you. We won't leave you. Then Naomi gets really practical. She's like, look, even if I had sons right now, you're not going to wait, you know, 20 years to marry these guys. You're not going to wait around for them. It's like, go away. You, you have hope and a future. You have a future that will take place if you go. She's like, look, this is what you really want. What you desire is for the next 20, 30 years to be okay. And if you go away and you find new husbands, you can start a new life. You can build again. Things will be better for you. Go. And Orpah says, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm going to leave. But Ruth, she, she clings to her and she stays. In this beautiful act of selflessness, she says, I don't care about myself. I'm going to lay myself down to lift you up. But Orpah says, you know what, you're right. Practically, it's going to be easier for me in this world if I go and I find a husband and start to build a new life. You know, we sometimes have this idealistic idea of what the future on this earth can hold for us. And, and we will step toward these idealistic thoughts and reality comes crashing down and like on, on Orpah, she's like, well, maybe I, I wanted to stay with you, but you make a good case and, and I feel like I probably should go. I watched this uh, show with a character. His name is, was Marshall and he was going to law school and he was going to be an environmental lawyer. He wanted to save the planet and he gets out of law school and he graduates, he, he does well. And he's sitting there, and he's getting ready to go be an environmental lawyer, and he finds out his, his wife has a shopping addiction, and she has tons, tens of thousands of dollars, like, racked up. And then the corporate lawyers come in and say, hey, we'll pay you a ton of money to come be this evil corporate lawyer, right? And so he, he does that. Practically, he's like, it, it's, it's like sucking his soul out of him. He's like, look, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to be able to solve the problem that's right in front of me. Even though I know what, what I really desire to do, what I, what I want to do isn't what I, I need to do right now. This is what Orpah finds herself in this position, where she seems to want to stay with Naomi, care for her mother-in-law. But she's like, you know what, these next 20, 30 years, th this is what I, I need to fix I need to be in a good situation for these next 30 years on this earth. Or, you know, I, I can't walk away from that. They get so practical. They think, well, this is what I want. This is what I need right now. You know, I've had conversations with people where I try to talk to them about Christ and about eternity and, and, and their own sin. And I've had people just say to me, like, hey, maybe I'll accept Christ on, 
on my deathbed or something, but right now, like, I'm just enjoying life. Maybe at some point I'll, I'll step into that decision. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a place where you think, well, maybe if, in, in order to get into heaven, I'll do that. But right now, I, I got other things to focus on. I got work. I got my house. I got my family. I, I can't put those things in the back seat to surrender completely, to find my identity completely in God. But you know what? This life is so fleeting and so fast. One of our elders had a, a house fire this past week and, and lost. Everything was insured. It's all going to be okay, but lost most of the contents of the inside of their house. You know what? Nothing in this world will give you identity. Nothing. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how great you think the life that you've built is. You know, there's this passage in Ecclesiastes that we're going to look at together. Written by King Solomon, Ecclesiastes was. King Solomon is one of the richest men in all of history. You know, the richest person in the world right now is Jeff Bezos. He's worth about $113 billion, billion with a B. I looked at some people that tried to equate what King Solomon was worth with the descriptions of how much he had, and they said that right now, King Solomon would be worth about $2 trillion, about 20 times what Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is worth in, in our world, is what Solomon would be worth. And this is what he had to say. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We're so obsessed with the urgent thing that's right in front of us, fixing the problem that we think we see, that we forget that this world is so fast. Your life is gone so quickly. And those of us that are older, you feel old, right? You're like, wow, time really flies. These kids grow up so quick. I remember holding these babies. Now they're graduating from college. You feel like, you start to feel like an old person saying this stuff. Life goes quickly. Eternity is forever. What gives you your identity? Is it something that's temporary? Or are you looking toward eternity? An identity can't be given to us by another person. And this is fascinating what Ruth does here in verses 15 through 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is, is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. This is interesting, by the way, as well, because Naomi is not necessarily very committed to her faith life, right? Because she's not overly concerned about her daughters-in-law going away from the true God of Israel. So, like, Orpah is leaving. She's going back to false gods. And if Naomi thought that her God was true, she wouldn't be happy about that. But she's like, okay, I think that that's probably what's practically best for her. So she's going. This is a fascinating little piece of this. She's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But, but Ruth replied, and this is one of the most beautiful arguments made in, in Scripture. 
It says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Then Naomi, when she realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She's like, well, I guess I'm, I'm giving up. She's digging in her heels. She's not going anywhere. She's staying with her mother-in-law. She's like, look, my fate is going to be your fate. We are tied together. I've hitched my wagon to this person, and, and our end's going to be the same place. No matter what happens, she's staying with her mother-in-law. Now, you know what's interesting about this? Is you're never supposed to do this with another human being. It, it's never a good idea. And I see this all the time. Like, there are famous pastors that people, they'll fall in love with their, they think their pastor's the greatest thing in the world. We don't have any people like that. But the other pastors have people that are like, hey, this guy's amazing. And they get so involved in that relationship with that spiritual leader that sometimes the spiritual leader has a moral failing and those people all of a sudden lose their faith completely. Because their relationship with God was through another person instead of through Christ himself. We must always keep our eyes focused on God, but here what's happening is Ruth is like, I don't care. I'm with you. You're the person that I'm supposed to be with. And what's incredible about this is even though this isn't what she's supposed to do, God still uses it for the salvation of the world. Ruth Ruth is the grandmother of King David. And in King David's line is Jesus Christ, who comes to this earth to save us all. God takes this foreign woman who makes a promise of fidelity to another person, not to God necessarily, but he says, look, I'm going to use that Mistake, and I'm going to use it for my redemption. Have you ever been on a road that you knew you shouldn't have been on, but God used it to bring you back to the right place? I was in seminary, and I met a guy who was very charismatic. He was an exciting guy. His name was Kenny, and we got to know each other. I became an intern for him at, at a big church in the area. I started working with this guy. I did everything that he asked me to. I showed up early. I stayed late. I picked up chairs. I, you know, I swept floors. I did everything that this guy asked me to do. After a couple of years, I realized, like, oh, my goodness, this is not exactly the type of person I want to emulate in my life. I, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation around somebody who's a mentor or something, and you start to realize, like, ooh, there's some character flaws here. I, I'm not sure I want to be exactly like this person. But it was through that relationship that God led me to a church that I ended up getting my first full-time job at. And God blessed me so much through that situation. A very similar thing is happening here. And what's so important for you and I to realize is even in our brokenness, even in our poor choices, and this doesn't mean we should try to make bad choices, but there's comfort in the fact that God uses brokenness. 
He uses poor decisions and can still drive us to the destination that we're supposed to be at. Ruth is promising, look, I'm going to be the person for you. I'm going to always be there. No matter what, I'm going to take care of you. To Naomi. And identity can only be given to us from God. But yet God takes that promise. He takes this beautiful promise of Ruth and he says, yeah, you're, you're going to go with her. And her God is going to be your God. And your descendant is going to save the whole world. Every person, even when we're not supposed to get our identity from another person. You know what? God, he makes something incredible happen as a result. He brings about the salvation of the entire world. Now, I don't know the sorts of things you've been through or how you're identifying yourself, how, where you find your identity right now. But Naomi makes a huge mistake here at the end of the passage that I think many of us make. In the final few verses, 19 through 22, it says, so these two women, they, they went until they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, this, this special town that Jesus was going to be born in. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Is this Naomi who had left? Is she back now? She's here? This is how Naomi responds. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The name Naomi means sweet. It means sweet and pleasant. So why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is a woman who has been wrecked by tragedy. Her children are gone. Her husband's gone. She feels like she has no hope. Her daughter-in-law makes this incredible promise. No matter what happens, I'm with you. We'll be together. And you would think that that would be a glimmer of hope. But she comes back and she says, no, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Because I am choosing to define myself by the worst things that have happened to me. Now, what's true is this is a temptation for every single person in this room. The worst things that have happened to us have a tendency to define us. When we're defined by the things of this world, watch closely to what she says. She says, I went out full because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. So she goes away full, right? She goes away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. So she goes away full. It's about her. She goes away full. But the emptiness, whose fault is that? The Lord brought me back empty. Empty. 
You see, when she went away, it wasn't about God. When she felt full, she wasn't thankful to God. She wasn't full because of God. She was full because she thought she had it all figured out. But when tragedy strikes, she knows who to blame. You see, if your identity is based in anything else, real fullness doesn't exist. You're faking it. You're pretending to have an identity. And then it's just taken away. And the natural person to blame is God. Your identity can only be given to you from God. And if you don't start from that place... You're going to find yourself angry and frustrated with God because bad things, difficult things are going to happen in your life. But the identity he gives us, he goes to the cross and he dies so that you can be made new and brought home, be a child of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it said, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. This identity, this hope is being defined by what someone did for you, not what people on this earth have done to you. God says, I did something for you. I invited you home. Jesus is separated from the Father, so you never have to feel alone. Identity as a child of God can never be taken in a world of things constantly shifting and changing. Identity is kind of a hot topic right now. People like to define themselves in lots of different ways. But what we know because of Scripture, because of God's truth, is that this is the only identity that matters. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every other name, he, God, gives the right to become a child of God. How do you define yourself? Is it by the hopes that you have in this world? Are you downtrodden because of the worst things that have happened to you? Are you defining yourself by those things? Or do you say, yes, those things happened. But I am full because God has made me full. Through his son dying, I become a son of the king, a child of God. Let's pray, and then we'll close. God, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would bring this truth to life in our hearts. And that as we're getting all of these messages screaming at us, hey, look at me, define yourself by me, that, God, we would see your beautiful truth, that you are the only thing that we were meant and created to be defined by. God, help us to live in to that truth. Find identity in you, hope in you.
believe in your name. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Ogden Church. We would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. If you would like any more information, you can find us on Facebook or at ogdenchurch.org. 